We started last week by exploring this whole idea. What does it mean to leverage your life for God? That a life well leveraged for God is a life well lived with God because you see things differently. You see things like he sees them. You look at all your stuff and all the stuff you can do and the people you know and you say, okay, God, how can you use, how would you use this? And lots of times it's not the big, grand, mysterious, what's God's will for my life? What's the big plan? Very rarely is it that kind of stuff, is it? It's the small but real stuff that we show up every day to and say yes to God about. And so that's what we kicked off last week looking at. We looked at this idea that every one of us is at some level an influencer. Every one of us. No matter what your story, where you come from, what you think about yourself, you actually are an influencer. And tonight what we want to look at is we want to actually take a step back for each one of us and look at, for every one of us, what is the thing that precedes our influence? What is the thing that comes before our influence, because there is always something that comes before the little influence, the everyday influence that we have in this world. And it is an invisible reality. It is something that cannot be seen, but it is felt. You can't sort of point your finger at it or poke it, but you know what it is. It is an invisible reality that goes before you on your behalf, is with you when you are engaging with others or doing whatever the work is that you're about to do and stays behind you long after you're gone. It's this invisible reality that is not in any way contingent on your education, where you come from, what you know, who you know, how you got here. It is your spiritual pedigree, none of that stuff. It isn't contingent on any of that stuff. This invisible reality that precedes our influence It's something that takes a lifetime to build, but can be shattered and lost in an instant. This invisible reality is called the force. And I want to, no, I'm kidding, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Those of you here for the first time are like, oh man, we clearly came into nerd church. No, that's not, it's not the force. I just thought that it sounded kind of like that. It's not the force. This invisible reality that always precedes influence is a thing called integrity. Integrity is something that you cannot see, but you feel. Integrity is something you cannot put your finger on or point your finger at, but you know when it's present. Your integrity always goes before you, wherever you're going, into whatever setting or circle you're going into, is there with you when you're engaging with others or doing the work that God's put you to, and always stays behind once you're gone. That's what your integrity does. Your integrity is not contingent on your upbringing, on what you know, on who you know, on how you got here, on your spiritual pedigree. It actually has nothing to do with any of those things. It is a gift from God poured into your life. Integrity, your integrity, is what always precedes your influence. And it is something, as we'll see here tonight, that takes a lifetime of everyday moments to build, but it can be shattered and lost in an instant. But that, thankfully, is not the end of the story. And we're going to look at tonight what God does when our integrity has actually been compromised. Now, the, the root of this word integrity, the, the understanding of this was not a spiritual thing at first. It was actually, it comes from several different cultures, and they all sort of have the, the same idea for this word. It actually is a term used in building, building structures specifically. It was a word that was used to say, like, to to look at the the form, to look at the materials used in a building or a structure or any sort of bridge or span. They always wanted to measure for its structural what? 
Integrity, right? And this is, this is a word we're very familiar with. We have giant buildings that surround us in the city, and we kind of depend on structural integrity, don't we? Yeah, now our roads are a completely different story, but at least when we look up, we know that there's structural integrity, right? And the word basically means from all these different cultures and all these different definitions, it all comes back around the same ideas. Wholeness, completeness, not lacking anything, not being inconsistent. Now, you think about it in the building term, you kind of want that, don't you? You want materials, you want structures that are whole and complete, not lacking anything. And anytime they would, anytime that a structure of any sort, and especially in the ancient world, lacked integrity and it collapsed, it caused damage to everything around it. And if you watched the news last night and you saw what happened in Indiana, you see what happens when a large structure, when the integrity of that structure fails, it has effect on everything around it. The same is true of our personal integrity, a wholeness, a completeness, not lacking anything. We look for that. We long for that. We look for that. It's not just in sort of historical or architectural terms, not even in Bible spiritual terms. We look for that every day in our culture, and we're very, very quick to recognize when it's not present. It seems as though just about every other week you turn on the news and there is some political leader who has lacked integrity right? There is some moral failure or something that happens, and there is a public outcry. How dare he? How dare she? And we are frustrated, disappointed with, and even angry at times when someone lacks integrity. They say one thing in a campaign, and they do something different. We feel like that's a foul. We call foul when it lacks integrity, when there's not wholeness, don't we? Every one of us, whether you call yourself a spiritual person or not, we all look for that. You look for that in organizations and corporations. Anytime we see a business that has unethical or unfair business practices, we call foul and say, no, that's a lack of integrity. You cannot sort of sell this product here and treat people this way over here. If any of you watched the movie Food, Inc. and tried to eat anything in the city of Chicago afterwards, there was an integrity issue. Right? When you see what is marketed and packaged and you see where it comes from, you go, oh, wait a second, hold up. That lacks integrity, wholeness, completeness. That is inconsistent. Right? We know that. We recognize it. We recognize it quickly in other people in our life. You just know when you're around someone and they lack integrity. You can't put your finger on it. You can't point to it. You can't see it, but you know it, don't you? And we have a very psychological sort of clinical term that we use for those people. We say that they're sketchy. Right? <laughs> like you see someone, you know, and you're like... Oh, that dude is sketchy. Like, you don't know what it is, but what you're trying to say is that person lacks, that individual lacks integrity. That's sort of what you're saying. We see it, we feel it, and we are incredibly quick at pointing it out in others. We're really good at finding it in others. Now, finding it in ourselves, that's a different story. But just as much as we are quick to find a lack of integrity in other people and businesses and politicians, whatever it may be, we also cling to and favor and look for people who have it, don't we? We love when we find someone who actually has some integrity. And if you ever found yourself saying, I don't know what it is, I just trust that guy. You ever say, I don't know what it is, I just, I just trust him. Or I don't know what it is about her, but she's the real deal. You ever describe someone that way? They're the real deal. What does that mean? I don't know, but what it means somewhere in the back of those words are they have integrity. There's a wholeness. There's a completeness. We find people like that. We like to be around them. We find businesses or organizations like that. Guess what? We give them our business because we trust them. 
I saw this recently with uh, a place that we go to get our car worked on. This has always been a great place, and they've always been fair to us. And so I took our car in because our glove box hatch latch thing had been broken. Someone broke into our car and tried to break into the latch, and they actually broke the latch in the process. So order the part, get the part, take it to the mechanic. And I'm expecting it to be about 100 bucks. That's just what you expect to pay for anything to get fixed in the city. And then I expect it to be about an hour. And so I take it into these guys, and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, can you guys fix this? Here it is, blah, blah, blah. The guy goes, he kind of looks at it, he goes, yeah, it'll be like 15 minutes. I'm like, don't, don't say that. Because nothing happens that quickly around here. He's like, no, it's like 15 minutes. And so I kind of sit down. I'm figuring I'm going to go through a lot of email. I'm going to go through text messages. trying to sit there and try and get some work done. Five minutes later, he comes back to me. He goes, all right, we're good. I was like, with what? Like, what happened? Like, is it, can you fix it? Did you fix it? You didn't fix it, did you? What happened? He goes, no, 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 I fixed it. It's easy. Here, let me show you. He kind of pulls you down. He goes, now, I had to use a screwdriver in this part, so there's a tiny little nick here. I probably shouldn't have even told you that, but I just wanted you to know there's a tiny little nick here in your glove, but I popped it in, fixed it in, and you're good to go. I was like, dude, that's, like, I was like, do you tip mechanics? Like, I was ready to go. I was like, that's awesome. Thank you so much. What do I owe you? He goes, ah, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm about to hug this man. I'm literally about asking what he's doing for dinner. Like, I'm very committed to this man. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why? I look, I'm like, why would you do that? He's like, look, because if you have something big that goes wrong with your car, bring it back to us. We'll take care of it. And you know what my response is? I will. I'm going to break something in my car right now just to bring it back to you. Like, I trust you. Because there's integrity there, and we long for that when we see it in someone, don't we? And we have a phrase for that in Chicago that we use. It's very, very clinical and psychological as well. The phrase we use is, I got a guy. <laughs> don't we? That, that's what integrity is for us in our terms around here. It's like, my AC just broke, and it's totally, I got a guy. I got a guy. Or I got a girl. I got a guy. I know someone. I got a girl. I got a guy, right? We love saying that. We love having guys, having girls, right? We find someone that actually has integrity, and we are drawn to them. And in a very real way, they have a level of influence over us strictly because of their integrity. It's not just businesses. It's not just people that kind of do things that we like. Spiritually, we are drawn to people who have integrity, don't we? Aren't we? We're drawn to people that we look to and go, I don't know what it is. They're just the real deal. They walk with God. Now, I don't think I could put a finger on it or give you some sort of quantitative thing. I just know these people, that person, walks with God. And I have a friend like this in my life. His name's John. And this last week, there's just a couple things I couldn't wrap my brain around. And so I knew that we were going to be kind of heading the same way. And uh, I figured I could give him a drive just so I could talk his ear off for an hour. And so I go, you know, can you hop in the car? I know we're heading the same place. Can you hop in the car? I just, I want to run these things by you and just sort of bounce these things off of you. Why? Because he's a person of integrity in my life. I look at his life and it's consistent. It's complete. It's not lacking anything. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'll tell you that much right now. He's not a perfect guy. But he's a man of integrity. And we're drawn to those people, aren't we? We want to have those people around our lives, don't we? We love having and are drawn to those types of people. Here's the crazy thing. What God is inviting each one of us into this weekend is not just to have those people, because they are very important to have in our lives. I highly recommend you have some of them in your life. What God's inviting you into this weekend is to actually be one of those people, that you actually can be a person of integrity in a broken and fallen world, that you can be a person of integrity that others look to, that you can actually be a person of integrity that has influence in our world.
It's as though integrity is this sort of immeasurable X factor when it comes to our influence. It's always connected and it always precedes our influence. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. A lot to say about what it means to be a person of integrity. And tonight we're going to look at one story about someone who modeled it really well despite really difficult circumstances, really tough choices. In fact, at different points in the story, this person is sold into slavery, is thrown into prison, is forgotten about and left to die, and yet never loses or lacks their integrity. We're going to look at the story of the life of Joseph. So if you would, would you pick up a Bible, please? There's one right in front of you. If you brought your own, you're welcome to use your own. Uh, We have one for anyone here who wants a Bible. Hey, listen, if you don't own a Bible, we think this is incredibly important if you're ever going to live a life of integrity or influence. So if you don't own a Bible, this is now your Bible. You get to take it home tonight, okay? So that's yours. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 39. It just so happens to be page 39. So Genesis 39, page 39. Only in the book of Genesis do you get to do that. So Genesis 39, page 39, quick backstory. Joseph is the youngest of his many brothers, but his father favors him. If you know the story, his dad actually gives him this beautifully hand-woven coat. It is a coat of many colors, or as some of you may know it, a technicolor dream coat, right? (laughs) And I will not be singing from that musical tonight. So Joseph is favored by his father and ultimately hated and despised by his brothers because of his father's favoritism for him. He also is someone who has been having these dreams about how his brothers are going to bow down and worship him one day. Not a good strategy when your brothers hate you. Makes for long rides in the back of the station wagon, okay? So they hate him so much, they decide one day to kill him. Literally, they're going to kill their brother because they just can't stand how much their father loves him and favors him. So they find him in a field, they take him out to do it, and they decide at the last minute, someone, one of the brothers, Reuben, speaks wisdom and says, maybe let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit and we'll fake his death, like CSI style. We'll fake this crime scene and we'll fool dad and tell dad that he's dead and we'll just leave him here essentially to die. And just at the last moment as they'd thrown him into the pit and were about to leave, they saw some slave traders that were riding through a caravan and they sold their brother into slavery. So win for not killing him, uh, win-win for making money off of it. So they sell him into slavery, and he's gone. His story literally, this is essentially where his story starts, or at least where we're going to catch up with him in Genesis 39. Joseph has now been dragged into slavery, far from home, into the land of Egypt. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, he was actually the captain of the guard, or sort of the head of his military. So this is a high-ranking official. Bought him, being Joseph, from the Ishmaelites, or these slave traders, who had taken him there. Now look at these words. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, that he did well. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He actually lived in Potiphar's house. Now look what happens very quickly because of Joseph's integrity. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's good work if you can find it. So he trusts Joseph. There is something about God's presence with Joseph and Joseph's integrity that is so clear and so evident, again, can't be touched or pointed to, but it is felt and it is real, that Potiphar entrusts everything to Joseph. In other words, Joseph was Potiphar's guy. 
I got a guy. His name's Joseph. He kind of does everything. And so here we see Joseph actually prospering in a foreign land in the house of a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's, uh, a military official in Pharaoh's court. But Joseph's integrity is soon going to come under a full-on assault. Jump down to verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And I know it, uh, for those of you who are visual people, you can just kind of look up here for a second. If that, if, it just, if that helps. I'm just trying to help you contextualize this. So just so you have a mental picture. So uh, Joseph was well-built and handsome, the Bible tells us. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said very subtly, come to bed with me. Now, this is, this is where the story gets really, really Interesting. Right here, his boss's wife says, I want to sleep with you. I want you to come to bed with me. I want to have you. And verse 10, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even what? Be with her. He just refused to even be around her at all. Because he knew every time he was, his integrity was on the line. His integrity was under attack. Very interesting. Down to verse 11. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the servants was inside. Now, this is very, very important to pay attention to. Joseph has a moment here. He comes into the house, and the house is empty. No one would know what's about to happen. No one would see. And isn't it so true that it's these moments that we find ourselves alone, by ourselves, whether we've set the scenario up or not, that we are most tempted, where our character is often most on the line. You know, my boss would know. If I just did this, my boss would never know. They'd never see. Or, you know, I, I figured out how I can look at this thing online, and they, 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 my wife my roommates, they never even know because I can sort of do this and I'm by myself and they're gone. Or, you know, hey, listen, my roommate's out of town this weekend, so maybe you should come over. Isn't it true? That so often it's when no one's in the house, literally and sometimes, you know, literally, sometimes metaphorically, that our characters often, our integrity is often most threatened and challenged. No one is in the house. This is in verse 11. She, being Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak She's desperate at this point. He says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He fleed the scene, fled the scene, got as far away as he possibly could from this attack on his integrity. But Potiphar's wife doesn't stop there. Now being rejected because of Joseph's high character, verse 17 she told her husband this story about him. That Hebrew slave that you brought to us, again, this is the guy that she just said, come to bed with me, now she's calling him that Hebrew slave that you brought to us, came to me to make sport of me, which is, I, I guess, what they called it back in those days. But <laughs> as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Now she is lying about his character and his integrity. And it's, I'm just telling you, this is, could not model what happens to us. Have you ever had someone spoke, speak poorly about your character before, whether it's right or wrong? 
Have you ever had someone say something about you that you found out through the email that got sent to you that shouldn't have, or you overheard someone talking, or someone came back to you and said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but so-and-so is saying this about you. You ever felt, ever had that happen to you? Maybe it was all the way back in middle school, maybe it was last week at work. Those moments are very challenging moments, because it's in those moments everything in you wants to rise up and defend yourself or to attack them, right? Like they attacked you to knock them back down into their place to show them that you're right through your might or through your wit or through your strength or through whatever it is. Very interesting enough, I mean, as far as we can tell in the text, there's no fight from Joseph. They find him. He's sent to jail. And here he is now, very similar to what happened with his brothers when they sold him off into oblivion. He is thrown into a dank prison cell and left to die. But it's not the end of Joseph's story. His integrity increases. Jump to Genesis 41. Genesis 41, verse 20. He is in prison, okay? He has falsely been accused. If I were Joseph, I would be like going to law school in prison. I would be putting my case together against Potiphar's wife. I'd be calling witnesses. No, he is in prison. Genesis 41, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was what? With, wow, is that just for me or no? The Lord was with him. He was not alone. The Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It's happening all over again. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. No matter where you drop this guy, his integrity always rises to the top. Everywhere, no matter what the scenario, you sell him into slavery, he ends up in Potiphar's house, rises to the top. You throw him into jail, lock him up, and throw away the key. His integrity causes him to rise to the top. God lifts him up no matter where he's been thrown or beaten down to. This is what a life of integrity looks like. This is the promise of those of us who choose to fight for our integrity. God, in his way, in his time, always lifts you up. Even in prison, Joseph is class president, no matter where he goes. Even in the lowest spot, his integrity leads to influence, no matter where he goes. Same thing happens again. Some guys in prison have some dreams. He interprets these dreams for these guys. One of those guys gets out, makes his way into Pharaoh's court, the most powerful person in the known world. Pharaoh, later, several years later, has a dream, can't figure it out. This one guy who several years before had Joseph interpret a dream for him while in prison says to Pharaoh, I got a guy. (laughs) I met him in prison. Now, just a side note from teaching right now. If you have a guy that you met in prison... You might want to think that one through twice. Who knows what the story is there? This guy says, I got a guy. I met him in prison. He can interpret dreams. And so Joseph is brought up and into the presence of Pharaoh. And ultimately what ends up happening over the next few verses of that chapter is that Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh and devises a plan to literally save Egypt from an oncoming famine. And Joseph's plan and interpretation that God gave him the dream is so strong and so accurate that Pharaoh is blown away by this man and his integrity. And look at the level of influence that comes because of it. Jump down to verse 38. So, Pharaoh asked them, 
And this is, he's asking the people in his court after Joseph had interpreted this dream and after he put this plan together to save Egypt. He says, can anyone, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. And then Pharaoh turns to Joseph and says, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Now look at the influence that's entrusted to this man of integrity. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, what Pharaoh's saying is, look, you are in charge of things in my kingdom now. And the only reason they bow to me is because I sit on this throne, but you stand right next to me. Joseph, in a matter of years, becomes the second most powerful man in the known world after being betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, tempted by his boss's wife, thrown into prison. God raises him up and lifts him up. And every step along the way, every step along the way, Joseph had a choice to make. When he was betrayed, when he was forgotten, when he was tempted, I can, I can keep the course that God has me on of integrity or I can go this way, that way, in infinite other opposite directions. I, I can stay the course of integrity knowing of who I am and who God is and what he's put me to do right now, right in front of me. I can stay this course or I can cut corners over here or I can choose sort of my way over here. And it seems as though throughout this story, what we see, and any time that we commit ourselves to being people of integrity, it's as though God is guiding us on this invisible path that no one else can see, and sometimes we can't even see ourselves. Influence, influence so often is preceded by our integrity. It's like integrity is the invisible path to influence. Integrity is the invisible path to influence. No one else can see it. No one else can put a finger on it. But when you are listening to God and fighting for what you know is true in your heart and in your life, in your actions, in your choices, it is as though there's this path where you can't explain it all. You just sort of know that this is what God wants me to do next. And this is the next right thing. And this is the next right step. Joseph could have never orchestrated this plan on his own. There's no possible way. Only God can lead him step by step by step. Only God can lift him up and through his integrity give him influence to be the second most powerful man in the known world. The Bible says it so well in Proverbs 10, 9. It says these words, which I think are absolutely true of Joseph's life, and I believe they can be true of your life and mine. It says this, whoever walks in integrity walks what? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to start the whole message over again. That was pathetic. That was really pathetic. So let's say it's on the screen. You can't, it's like in front of you, it's on the screen. I'm saying it, so say it along with me now. Whoever walks in integrity walks what? Securely. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. He doesn't know what the next thing is. How could he possibly predict this story? But there's this invisible path that God continues to lead him on as he fights for his integrity, and it leads to greater influence for God. The person of integrity, you and I, when we choose integrity, we can walk securely. We don't understand the whole plan, but we can know what the best next step 
is. Or as a former boss of mine says, the next wise thing to do. What is the next wise thing to do? But Proverbs says this about you and me, about anyone who lacks integrity. Whoever takes crooked paths will be what? Found out. This is sobering. Because so often, like in the moment where everyone was outside of the house and Joseph was there and Potiphar's wife was there, there is a very clear, there is nothing invisible about the crooked path. It is wide and obvious and right in front of your face. Joseph had a choice there. Boy, I can, I could probably do this and get away with it. I mean, she wants me. I could do this. This would be easy. Like, this is great. Like, this could happen. We do it all the time. There are little shortcuts to our integrity, little side routes where we say, okay, I know, you know, I know what God is, God is leading me to do this right now, or God would desire me to do this, or God's best for my life would be this, or the next wise thing is this, but I could probably get there faster if I went this way, or I could probably have more fun if I went this way. And so, so often what you and I do is we take the crooked paths and we find that they are nowhere near shortcuts, but they lead us down long, treacherous paths to harm, to destruction, to unhealth, to addiction, to what all kinds of things await us down these short little crooked paths. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, steps right into the next thing that God has for them. Not ever knowing the full course, but knowing what's next. But when we lack integrity, we choose these crooked little paths, thinking that we can in some way manage our selfishness, mask our sin, that you know, no one really needs to, to know about this. I can sort of do this over here. I can go this route, and I can sort of keep it under control, keep it under wraps, and no one has to know, none the wiser. Not my friends, not my boss, not my spouse, not friends at church. I can sort of just keep going down these crooked paths. It may be just an ethical decision or an ethical business decision where you've been sort of cutting corners for a long time now, and not only do you not get caught, you've been rewarded for it. Guess what? Every step down that crooked path, it will be found out. It will. Maybe it's, you know, the way that you talk about others when they're not there. It's small things lots of times, right? Gossip, or you're trying to win someone else's sort of attention or affection by putting down someone else or defaming or speaking poorly of someone else when they're not around. That's a little crooked path. Guess what? It finds its way out every time. It always floats. It always comes to the top. No matter what, that's just how it works in our world. It's just a matter of time. It may be something much larger than that, crossing lines of purity, whether it be just by yourself with whatever it is that you're sort of addicted to or you're watching at or you're looking at or you're engaged in, maybe with the person that you're dating and relationship with, maybe with absolute strangers that you meet on the weekend, and you say, you know what, I, I know God would probably want me to do this, but this looks like fun, and this is just right now, and it's no big deal, and it'll be gone tomorrow, and I can just do this, and no one has to know. And we attempt to manage our sin. Every time, by God's grace, we are found out. We are found out. And it never, ever, ever goes as smoothly as we want it to. 
And when those moments come, when you feel that sort of temptation, that pull to go down that crooked path that seems like a shortcut, seems like more fun, seems faster, seems more beneficial or profitable to you. It's a step away from the next step that God would have you, but you figure, I could just, sort of, I could just do this one thing. There's just two questions I want you to, to wrestle with, and we'll put them up on the screen. You might want to write these down. In fact, one of these may be a question that stops you in your tracks. It literally may be a question that actually stops you in your tracks from going down a crooked, harmful, destructive path that will ultimately be found out. Here's the question. If this private thing that you're about to do, this private little crooked path that you were about to take, were made public, do you think that it would increase or injure your integrity? Just ask yourself that question. If you give yourself like a five-second warning before you walk down the crooked path, you say, okay, wait, hold up. I feel like... I feel like I want to do this, and I'm just going to ask this question. If this little thing that I'm going to do in secret, this little thing I'm going to do in hiding, this thing that I'm going to try and manage and do on my own, if it were made public, do I believe that it would actually increase or injure my integrity? What would others say? What would others think if it were brought into the light? Will it increase or would it injure your integrity? That's a question you can actually start to ask like, Tonight, tomorrow, at work, when you get home, when you find yourself in a tough spot where you go, man, I know I, know I shouldn't, but I, but I want to. And you may not even, you may not even know God, but you kind of know that you shouldn't, right? You're like, I, I just, I know it's not, but I, I want to. Well, is this private little decision, this little crooked path, if it were made public, would that injure or would that increase your integrity? What do you think? That's for this week. That's a question you can ask every day this week, and it may literally spare you and save you from a crooked path of destruction. And here's a question we're going to focus on right now. Is there then anything, are there any crooked paths right now that have compromised your integrity? Is there anything going on right now that has actually compromised your integrity? A character flaw that you've been ignoring People have been trying to tell you. It may not be like as big as sin. It's just that you're a jerk. And people have been trying to tell you like, hey, at work, you're kind of a jerk. Or hey, like, do you know that when you drive, you treat people this way, right? And it's not like you don't go to hell for that, but you're just kind of a jerk. And so you need to face that and go, okay, wait a second. This is like, is this something that's compromising my integrity right now? When I act this way, what's the effect that it has on others? Is it, is it incomplete? Is it lacking something? Is it inconsistent? What do I do about that? It may be a sin from the past that has gone unconfessed. You sort of ended that thing or you stopped doing that thing and you worked really hard and you cut it out of your life, but you've left it in the past and assumed that it would stay there. Guess what? It never does. And as long as it remains unconfessed and undealt with with God, it always finds its way back in. Maybe it's a pattern of sin you're caught up in right now, an addiction, an unhealthy relationship. And God is inviting you right now. Is there anything right now that is compromising, that is limiting your integrity? If so, I have two thoughts, two applications we can do right now. They're connected. First is this. If there is anything in your life, and if you're anything like me, there is, okay? You're not alone. First thing we need to do is make it known. You need to make it known. Whatever it is, make it known. Bring it into the light. Make it known. Now, 
you've been trying to manage this thing for far too long. You thought you could sort of tiptoe your way or work your way down this crooked path on your own, and it is literally like sucking the life out of you. And you exhaust more energy trying to manage your sin than you do actually trying to live the life that God has created you for. Make it known. Make it known to God. Make it known to God. And here's the crazy thing. He already knows. You're just the one that's in denial. Make it known to God. The Bible calls this confession. Confession. We admit. We make known. Not only to God, but to someone else as well. You've got to bring this stuff into the light. It's the only way off a crooked path is to make it known to God and make it known to others. And as much as is possible, make it right. Make it right. That's it. If you find yourself in any place where there's compromised integrity, where there's a pattern of sin, where there's a habit from the past that has not been dealt with, or there's an unhealthy relationship, or something that is compromising your integrity, your opportunity and invitation from God tonight to actually restore your integrity is to make it known and to make it right. Now, just for the sake of me knowing that you're actually awake and haven't passed out into some sort of heat coma, I need to like, have you say with you. So the first thing I do, if anything is compromising my integrity, is I do what? Make it known tonight. I'm serious, tonight, tonight. Make it known to God tonight. Tonight, deal with it. Deal with it tonight. Stop carrying it. Make it known. The second thing is what? Make it right as much as you can. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, if you can, if it's possible, if it is the healthy choice for you to do, make it right. We see this kind of confession and repentance again and again and again when people come into contact with Jesus. They make it known, I have sinned, I have messed up, and they do whatever they can to make it right. And here's the crazy thing. This is where love wins. This is where grace is supreme. Everything in your head right now is telling your heart, if you make it known and try and make it right, you will lose more integrity because you'll be found out because people's impression of you will now be lowered, diminished. If you make it known and it's out in the light, what will they think of you? What will they think of you? Do you know what the crazy thing is? Do you know how good God is? Do you know how the economy of grace works? When we confess and make it known and do whatever we can do to make it right, do you know what actually happens to your integrity? It increases. It actually increases. The thing that the enemy of God does not want you to know is that when you make it known and make it right, your integrity actually goes up. You ever been around someone that actually apologized for something before you had to ask them to? Own something? I had something like that happen to me not too long ago. I had said something stupid in a message, which happens a lot, but I just, I had said something that was just kind of an off-color joke, and I pushed something a little too far, and I just knew it, and I felt sick. I knew it when it happened. I felt sick about it. I felt stupid for doing it. It's a very small thing, but it ate at me, right? I shouldn't have said that. That was, man, that was a lack of of integrity for me to say that, especially on stage with a microphone on to someone recording it. So I, I knew. 
it's a small thing, but I knew I'd done it wrong. So I knew, here's what's crazy, that happened on a Sunday. We were meeting with a bunch of our leaders on Wednesday. And I just knew, this is a small example, but I want you to know what happens in small and big ways. This is what happens. I went to those leaders and I said, before anyone said anything to me, hey guys, I need to let you know, I said something on stage this last week. It was a stupid joke. It was off color. You, and you probably don't even remember. But I do. And it in a real way, I wouldn't use these words at the time, it lacked integrity. And so I just need to let you know as leaders in this church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not carry my weight as a pastor in this community. And I'm sorry. I took a quick little easy joke, crooked path, right? It's a small thing, but I want to let you know I'm sorry. Guess what happened in that moment? Guess what happened in that moment? People's respect for me actually went up, which there's a long way to go, but it did go up a little bit more. Thank you. That's what people said afterwards. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. I never would have even thought of that. It means a lot to me that you would just own that and say that. Make it known. Make it right. And in God's economy and the way God works, even the places, even the places where you feel like you failed the most and integrity is shot and lost, God will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will. And the more and more you and I begin to do that as a church, the more and more we begin to do that as individuals, the more and more that becomes part of our pattern where we just own it and say, I'm sorry, I gotta gotta make this known. I did this thing. And it may be a really big thing. It may be a really small thing. It doesn't matter. I wanna make it known. I wanna make it right as much as I can. Guess what begins to happen? That becomes true of our church. And I believe that it already is and will even more. Starting tonight, we're going to make it known and we're going to make it right, whatever it is to God. Guess what begins to happen? Our influence in this city actually grows. Because people look at a church that is not shooting for perfection, but for transformation. We're not shooting for perfection. We are just trying to be people of integrity, a church that actually does what it says. And guess what? There's not a lot of people think that churches can do that anymore. And in this city, we can become that church where people hit a wall spiritually, where people hit a place where they need healing, where people hit a place where they feel like they can no longer be loved or accepted, and someone says to them, I got a church. I got a church. These folks aren't perfect, but they are committed to being honest, open, and real with each other. I got a church, and you might want to check it out. And that's our hope. That's our hope for each of us as individuals and for this church. So I'm going to invite the band up right now, and as they come up, what I want to do is I want to give us some space to make it right. To make it right. To make it known in this moment. And so we're going to spend some time just sort of reflecting And looking at our lives and going, okay, is there any place that has lacked integrity, where my integrity has been compromised? Is there any place in my life? And tonight, instead of waiting, instead of thinking about it, instead of debating it, I'm going to make it known to God right now. I'm going to make it known to God. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make it right. So here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to, if it helps to close your eyes, maybe even... Keep your hands sort of open on your legs, sort of just as a posture of just saying, God, I'm open to you right now. I'm not going to try and hold on to this. I'm not going to try and keep managing my sin. I'm not going to keep trying to navigate these crooked paths. God, I want to make it known to you now. I want to confess my sin, my shortcomings to you, knowing that you already know them and knowing that grace 
awaits me because of your son, Jesus. And so whatever it is right now, whatever it is right now, would you make it known to God? Would you just bring it to the surface? You know what it is. It's that thing that's kept you with a lump in your throat while I've been talking. It's that kind of nervous feeling you feel in your gut. And you know, you know it's time to make it known to God and to make it known to someone else to confess and to commit to doing whatever you have to do to make it right tonight as much as it depends on you. And for some of you tonight, this whole idea of integrity and influence, you know that there is a big step that comes before those steps. And that is the step of entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That if you're ever going to live a life like he's created you to live, you've got to know him and have relationship with him. It's made available through his life, death, and resurrection. And so the best next step for you tonight is even right now in this place to say, okay, I want to make known my need for you, Jesus. And I want to make, I want you to make right what I've made a mess of in my life. And that invitation and opportunity is fully available to you right now to make your need for Jesus known and to allow him to make right in your life what you and I have made so wrong. God, I pray tonight that that would be true of us, that we truly would be people who do whatever we can do as much as it depends on us to make known our shortcomings, our sin. We should never be surprised by sin, God. But God, I want to be continually broken and made new by your grace. I am amazed at your grace. I am not surprised at my sin. I am amazed at your grace that the places where I have blown it in my life and lack complete integrity, you actually are offering restoration and healing and hope. And you want to make new, God, what I've made a mess of. I pray tonight, God, that we would come clean with you and whatever it is in our hearts that we need to make known to you, we would do that now in this time and in this space. In the next few moments, we're just going to encourage you and continue to pray and be present with God. We're going to do something that we do regularly around here. We're going to sing songs that we believe to be true about God. We want to offer our lives to him, words that we need to hear as much as we need to sing. And while we do that, we're going to receive our offering. It's something we always do as part of worship around here. It's just one of the ways we say thanks and give back to God and honor him with our resources. So if you came ready to give tonight, you acknowledge God's goodness in your life. You know what to do when the bucket comes by. You know exactly what to do. But I encourage us to continue in a posture of openness to God and surrender to him and allowing him to increase our integrity as he moves in our lives tonight.